Thank you, Miss Robin. Beautiful song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Well, Second Peter tonight, Second Peter, and we're in chapter one. Last week we kind of gave an introduction to the chapter and talked about our salvation. Tonight we're focusing on continuing on past our salvation, past our salvation. And we're starting in verse number five, first second Peter chapter one, verse five. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Father, thank you again for tonight. I pray you be with us, Lord, as we look into your wonderful word. Bless may Jesus Christ be praised. We pray in his name. Amen. So, we see first of all, this path of diligence. Path of diligence. We're going down a path. The start of that course is salvation. Everything begins with a new birth. Everything begins with being born again. You must be born again. You cannot go down a path unless you're placed first on that path. You have to know that you're on the path. And the only way to be on the path of the Christian life is first to know Christ as your Savior. But once you know Christ, there's more to the Christian life than just knowing Christ. So many folks get caught up in just being saved that they never grow spiritually. I've known 50, 60, 70-year-old folks who've been saved supposedly their whole life, but they've never grown because they've never added anything to their faith. They're still in the, unfortunately, the nursery stage of salvation. They've never gone on. They've never got faithful in their Bible reading. If you don't read your Bible faithfully, you will not grow as a Christian. That's just plain and simple. If you don't spend time in fellowship and talking to God, you won't grow spiritually. Why, if I never talked to my wife, man, we would and I never wrote her, never communicated to her, she'd have thought to me, well, this guy, you know, he seems like he likes me, but he didn't write me, he didn't call me, he didn't communicate. He didn't do any of those things. Well, dear friend, don't you think God's the same way? Don't you think he wants you to talk to him? He wants to talk to you. Do you spend any time talking to him besides complaining about the problems of the world? When was the last time you just took time to praise him and didn't ask for one thing? You know, sometimes parents about this time get a little weary. About three or four months, mom and dad been hearing from kids, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. It's nice just to say, I love you, <laughs> and not I want something. When was the last time you just went to God and said, I love you, I don't want a thing? In you, I have everything. And really, in you, have, we do have everything. So we have to add to our faith. And what does he want to add? What should we add? You see, salvation is not just believing in God. It's behaving properly. How do we go about that process? Well, it says a faithful addition here. We're going to add to our faith virtue. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. This word, this phrase, besides this, giving comes from the Greek word, which only occurs here. It, com it, co it conveys the idea of bringing something into, to be placed by the side of something else. So we're adding something. We're, uh, we're, we're doing addition, not subtraction, not division, 
not multiplication. We're doing adding. We're adding. And where are we adding first? We're adding virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is moral excellence. Moral excellence. The more you think about virtue, the more horrible vice will appear. <laughs> the word virtue verbalizes for us the character of the Christian life. Genuine goodness. You say, I'm virtuous. When you compare yourself to other people, maybe so. But when you compare yourself to Christ, how are you? It's like this, this afternoon I went to pick up a rag and it looked white. But when I picked up that rag and I compared it to a white shirt, that white rag didn't look so white. So our moral goodness, we always, we typically look at other people and say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. But the Bible says when you compare yourself with others, it's just not, it's not wise. It's not wise. We should not compare ourselves to other people. We should compare ourselves to, to, the, to the word of God, to Christ, who is perfect. And that's what we ought to strive after, perfection, doing the best we can by the grace of God. And, of course, it's always by the grace of God. So we start this addition first by recognizing our need to add to our faith virtue. Secondly, knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge is the Greek word gnosis, which refers to acquired by learning, effort, and expertise. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. We should desire to know more about him. We sing that old song, more and more about Jesus. More and more about Jesus. Do you desire to more know more about him? Do you long to know more about him? Do you make it a practice of your daily life to spend time getting to know him, to, to follow him? As we just, Robin just played that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. Is he a friend to you? How is that friendship? Well, the characteristic of a friendship, you spend time with one another, right? You spend time. Joshua was old and stricken in years in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said unto him, thou art old and stricken in years, there remaineth very much land to possess. The same is true with the word of God. There remains very, very much more uh, study we can study, uh, knowledge we can learn, things we can figure out. Dear friend, there's no way in a, any lifetime that anybody could just even scratch the surface of the knowledge of the Word of God. That's why you must be in it daily and study it, meditate on it, memorize it, focus on it. So, thirdly, temperance, temperance. The word temperance here comes from the word means strength, self-control. Self-control. Solomon, he was wise. You see, knowledge by itself, the Bible says, puffeth up. Uh, sophomores. You know what sophomore means? Wise fool. You get a little bit of knowledge, the worst person in the world to be around is a young person who thinks he knows everything. I, when I work with teenagers, every now and then you see somebody, they, they, they had a whole lot of head knowledge, but they just didn't have a clue about what life was really about. So you can know a whole lot of facts and figures, but you can't drive down the road in a motorcycle or you can't go down the road in a car. You can't change a tire. You can't change oil. You don't, you don't, you don't know the practical, the common sense things of life. That's having self-control, self-control. And Solomon, again, had great knowledge, but he, did, he lacked temperance. He lacked self-control when he was tempted to add to his uh, house many wives from many kings who that's what they would do in those those days to to, to gain a favor a king would give uh, the, the another king their daughter or another 
uh, a cousin or something as a, as a favor, and he heaped upon himself many wives. And what do those many wives do? They, they took his heart away from God. They drove him away from God. So he knew better. He just didn't do better. And most, of our, and most of that is where we are today. All of us in this room here on Wednesday night know right and wrong. You've been taught the Bible for most of your life. You've been taught the scriptures. It's not that we don't have the knowledge to know what's right. We just don't cho- we choose to do that, which is not right. Reminds me of a pastor who'd been studying the Bible many years, and all of a sudden he, he, he got this idea, uh, you know, by, by reading one verse, uh, you know, what Timothy, Paul's words to Timothy, a little wine for the stomach's sake. Well, he thought to himself, a little wine for the stomach's sake, a whole lot of wine is even better. <laughs> But you have to understand the wine that Paul was talking to Timothy about is a little bit different than what we're talking about in the uh, store that's beside Publix. <laughs> it's different, okay? It's not the same thing, but you have to understand that. You have to, you have to know it. You have to have self-control. David, when he did right, he had self-control. When he did wrong, he lost his self-control. He had self-control when Saul, who was his king, Uh, But the person who was trying to slay him, he had self-control and say, no, I'm not going to kill him when he had two opportunities to do so. But he did not have self-control when he looked over and saw Bathsheba naked one night bathing herself. Now, being there seeing her once wasn't his fault, but it's the second glance, men. It's the second glance that's what gets you. If he just said, saw that and walked away, went to his house, took a cold shower, got in bed, he'd have been a whole lot better. Than he would have, than he, than what happened to him the rest of his life. Fourth, not only that, we have patience. Do you have patience? The fourth essential virtue is to pursue perseverance or patience. The Bible talks about the patience of Job or the perseverance of Job. The Bible says in Philippians chapter four, verse eleven, "I have learned what sort of state I am therewith to be content." Are you a patient person? Do you choose? Do you choose? Do you, do you always have to. Are you impatient with other people? Are you, are you impatient for things to happen just the way you want them to happen? Or do you allow God to work in, in his way, in his will, in your life? Are you, are you usually two or three steps ahead of God? <laughs> That's a dangerous place to be. You're two or three steps ahead of God. Wait on the Lord. That's one of the hardest things to do is to wait. Wait patiently for him. Wait on his will. Wait on his timing. Wait on his peace. Wait on his presence. I just talked to somebody last night who was getting ready to make a decision. Before they made that decision, they said, I'm going to pray about it. I said, that's a good idea. Before you make any decisions, but especially major decisions, pray about it. Take time. Wait. Seek godly counsel as i've said before i'll say again i've seen so many people make horrible decisions decisions in life major decisions in life and they just make it on their own but the bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors dear friend if you're getting ready to make a decision you best go to four or five folks especially folks in this room who have no hair or little or less hair or gray hair who've lived a little bit Seek wisdom, seek counsel, be patient, be patient. Fifth, godliness. Godliness means literally to be devout. It carries the idea of doing such things that are well-pleasing to God. 
1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, refuse profane old wise fables. Why? Because they don't matter. They're nothing. They're all that kind of stuff of fables and, and, and vain, another phrase in using Timothy, vain janglings, gossip, tail-bearing. It's, it's nothing. It's just nothing. It's nothing to it. It's, it goes nowhere. But it says, exercise, therefore, rather unto godliness, doing that which is permanent, vain jangling, fables, those things which are profane, there's, there's nothing in that. It's useless. It's useless. Exercise our rest of the godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness profiteth unto all things, having the promise of life that is now and that which is to come. So is there, is, there, is there a place for exercise? Is there a place for taking care of yourself? Surely, certainly. But what is more important, godliness, because that's going to last in this life and the next life. Next, number, number six, kindness. Kindness. What did Peter see? Well, he saw kindness perfected, didn't he, in Jesus Christ? Do you think about all the different things Jesus did in those three, three and a half years of ministry that Peter got to personally see? saw that man who was, who was over the temple, Jairus, the father of that young lady who was sleeping. He saw Jesus, though he had this crowd among, all around him, he took time to go and see that young lady, that, that 12-year-old girl, and say, Talitha Makumi, arise, daughter, arise. That, that, young, that lady who spent all that she had, all that she all that she had, the Bible says, she spent much on the doctors and physicians. She had a, a flow of blood for 12 years, the Bible says. She touched the hem of his garment, and she, he took the time to look down at her, though everybody was around him, and show compassion to her, show care. That's who Jesus was. He was kind. He was compassionate, even to those who tempted him. Remember the lawyer who was trying to trick him? Who came to him and said, now which is the greatest of the commandments? What's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, he could have he answered back in a way that would show the lawyer up. He could answer in a way that would cause the to let lawyer to look bad. But instead he answered with kindness. And that's how we should act. We should, have, we should show kindness to other people. Seventh, charity. Charity, of course, is the chief virtue. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, is charity. Of course, this is the, the, the word agape. We know there's several different words in the Greek language for love. Phileo, which means a brotherly love. Eros, which means a sensual love. But agape is, is John 3, 16 love. It's the for God so loved the world love. It's the kind of love that Jesus portrayed when he died on the cross to save us from our sins. That's what one attribute that sets Christianity above all other religions is love. Most, most religions out there are duty. Duty, work, do this, do that. If you do these things, you might hope to get to heaven. No, dear friend, <laughs> it's not hoping to get to heaven. It's knowing you can get to heaven because of what Christ, by his love, has done for us. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. For the love of Christ restrained us, because we thus judged that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all, they which should live not should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What's that saying to us? If Jesus died for us, dear friend, we ought to give everything we have, be willing to die for him. That's the faithful addition we see in verses 5 through 7. What about the fruitful abundance? The fruitful abundance. Look what it says there in verse 8 again. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that you should be neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. We have, we'll have much. We add to our faith. If we add these things that I've mentioned, we'll have fruitful abundance. See, Christianity is not a, a just a, it's not just a, a creed or a sterile set of rules. It's a relationship with the living, loving Lord. Christ didn't just come and say, well, I'm the king. Y'all bow down and I'll die in about three years or so. No, he fed the poor. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He gave life to those who were dead. The Bible said of him, he went around doing good. He personified Virtue and knowledge and patience and temperance, self-control. He personified all these things that I mentioned. Charity. He personified it. He was the living embodiment of all these things, all these characteristics, all these virtues. If you're feeling bearing in your Christian life, then to do, I encourage you to do two things. First of all, study the life of Christ. Get in the Gospels. What did Jesus do? We used to, used to be a slogan, right? People used to wear bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, what, what, what did Jesus do? Get in the Gospels, get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read what he did. And what he did, by the grace of God, with the grace that you have, and the abilities and talents that you have, duplicate those things. Go help out the sick. Go to the poor. Go, go visit a nursing home and go door to door and go and knock on doors and say, hey, can I pray for you? You want to get out of the dumps? You want to get out of depression? Start praying for folks. Because those people in there are a whole lot worse than you out there. If you start focusing on people who are alone, a whole lot worse than you are, that will cheer you up. That will, make, that will give you something to focus on. Hey, how about getting in touch with these missionaries? I want to write, write these missionaries a letter. And I would just, hey, dear missionary, hey, uh, brother, brother Bobby, going down, living down there in Uruguay, I, I, I want to write you a letter saying, uh, happy, help, have a, hope you guys have a, a great Christmas and hope everything go, goes well. Well, after he wakes up from, be, from passing out, he will, he will get back in his chair and maybe write you a little note or email you something too. All these folks got email addresses. How about just take it upon yourself? I'm going to email five missionaries a week. By the way, we're going to be voting on our missionaries this coming Thursday, this coming Sunday night. Forgot about that, but we'll have a quick business meeting to discuss that this coming Sunday night after church. How about taking time to do that? That's 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 Christ likeness. Get in touch with somebody you haven't seen in church in a quite while and call them up or just show up and say, hey, how you doing? Fix a meal, ladies or men, for somebody that you know is not doing very well. Fix them something to eat. Take it to their house. Man, there's all kinds of things you can do to get out of, to get out of the doldrums of life. 
and then go after, add to your faith these things that I mentioned, virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness and kindness and love. Man, those will make you be a fruitful and abound. That's the path of diligence, but what is the path of destruction? What is the path of destruction? Well, first of all, the, the believer who's lost his sight of his condition. It says, but he that lacketh these things, talking about virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness and kindness and love, he that lacketh these things is blind. First, the characteristic of the person is blind. That is the word means short, short-sighted. It means the eye, myopic, cannot see very far off. Can't see very far off. He's blind. So he can't see far. He says, cannot see far off and forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. He's forgotten that he's, that he's uh, saved. He's forgotten what, what God has done for him. He's forgotten the benefits of being born again. He's forgotten the, the dangers of uh, destruction of hell, the warnings, the relief of, of being someone who's. Who's, who was going on a path of, of pain to a path of peace and paradise. He's forgotten those things. He's forgotten them. And from time to time, every Christian goes through this. We get so caught up in this world and the busyness of this world and the things of this world that we forget to some degree what God has done for us in the past. And I think that's what made Paul the Apostle one of the greatest Christians ever, is it seems like he did not forget that. You see, read, how do you know why? Read, read Acts. Three times in the book of Acts, he talks about it. He gives his testimony. Testimony, testimony, testimony. And you know what? If he reminded others or told others of his testimony, wouldn't it be a good thing for you and I on a regular basis to tell others your tes- our testimony? Find somebody that you don't know and, and they don't know you and tell them how you got saved. Through social media, I've done that. I've gone on social media and gone back and said, hey, oh, so-and-so, you remember me? Oh, yeah, that was old Party Hardy. I'm preacher now. What? We figured you'd be dead by now. If I didn't get saved, I would have. This is what happened to me, and I, I wrote it all out. This is what happened to me. Have you ever done that? How about writing your testimony out and sending it to somebody that you know does not know Jesus? A family member, a friend. Man, your personal testimony is different. You have a unique testimony that no one else in the entire world has. Send it to somebody. Give it to somebody. Share it with somebody. Tell it to somebody. Man, if we don't, we forget the goodness of God, what he's done for us in our life. The believer who's lost the sight of his condition, the believer has forgotten his salvation. Forgotten his salvation. We do that. So what does that remind us of? Well, the children of Israel. (laughs) Delivered from Egypt. What, 400 years in Egypt, in bondage, enslaved, (laughs) making the pyramids from sand and straw, mud and straw, every day, every day the same same thing the same pain, the same struggle. Imagine, imagine getting up today and you know five years from now, you're probably going to be doing the same thing you did today. Is making bricks. And if you don't do what you're t- told to do, somebody's going to whip your back and you wish you did what you're supposed to do. Imagine that type of life. 
No, no say, no say, no say in life, but not a whole lot of say in life. You're told it's a taskmaster. You know what that's just like? Sin. Sin is a terrible taskmaster. How many of you are in bondage to, bondage to it? Alcohol, cigarettes, immorality, strife, struggle, pain, prescription medicines, drugs. You were in bondage to those things. You could not get out. You could not get out. It's like the slaves in Egypt. They could not get out. The only way they could get out was death. It's the only way. But the deliverer came. Moses came and set them free. And they threw off their shackles. And they went through the Red Sea. They got to the other side, heading towards the promised land. Oh, that's what Jesus has done for us, hasn't he? Set us free. That you don't have to sin. You don't have to drink. You don't have to be immoral. You don't have to smoke. You don't have to do drugs. You don't have to. If you do it, you choose it. But when Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. We have victory in Jesus. That's why we sing the song. But think about the more Israelites. They didn't get very far but down the road. Next thing you know, they're saying, we want some water. We want the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks. Man, they just been delivered from Egypt. Now they're complaining about what food they don't have. They must have been Baptists. They must have been Baptists. They're grumbling and complaining. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, would to God we died. And they said, they said to Moses, would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. We have brought to us in the wilderness to kill us only a whole assembly with hunger. They were, <laughs> they, were, they were struggling with the things they had in the past they compared to what they had now. They had their freedom. They had something to look forward to, but they grumbled and, and complained and griped pretty much their whole time with Moses. And that's not where we should be as Christians. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, as the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore was I grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, for they have not known my ways. I swear in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you who in the evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. Why is called today? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Has your heart got hard? Have you not remembered what Christ has done for you? Has, is the Christian life just a drag, just a bore, just mundane? Just, going, just get up and do the same old thing, same old thing every day? There's no victory in your life. There's no peace in your life. There's no gratitude in your life. There's no, there's no, there's no thankfulness in your life. How do I know if, if I'm right with God or not? Same thing you find out. If you have oil in your car or not, you check the dipstick. You pull that thing out. Am I showing my son to that old van that 
Chuck had and said, it's got oil on it. Where's it at? If you don't have any oil, you add some oil. <coughs> what is the Christian's dipstick? It's right here. Check the dipstick. If that dipstick is complaining and ungrateful and griping about everything in the world, it's too hot, it's too cold, not enough people won on two, last Tuesday night. We, I don't have this, I don't have that. Well, dear friend, that is the indicator that you are not right with God. That is the easiest indicator. When someone gets around you, start grumbling, complaining, and griping about every little thing, what have they done? They've forgotten the goodness of God. They've forgotten the salvation that's so rich and so free. They've forgotten the grace of God and the peace of God and the love of God. They've forgotten that they're free. You're free. You're not in slavery. There's so many Christians who are free, who act like slaves every day, grumbling and griping, as if a taskmaster was whipping their back. You and I just don't know how good we are. We live, folks, like kings. We live like kings. Half the world doesn't have a bed tonight to sleep on. You have a posture Peter. It goes up, it goes down. They even got those kinds of now, if a man starts to snore, it recognizes and goes up. So I'm looking at you, Angel. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. <laughs> you tilt your head on that one. <laughs> Probably saved a million marriage right there. <laughs> man, we got, we got, <laughs> we got Chick-fil-A. We got Cheesecake Factory. We got Publix. We got food galore. We got AC. We got comfortable chairs. We'll do anything. They'll vibrate. They'll heat up. They'll do everything but talk to you. And you pay enough, they'll probably talk to you. We got devices. You ask them something, they'll tell you something back. Siri will talk to you. Alexa will talk to you. If you ask them the same thing, they'll probably say something different. But they'll talk to you. We got all kinds of stuff. We have it better than any group of people have had it in the history of the world. Yet we as Christians are probably the most ungrateful in any generation in the history of the world as Christians. How about you today? Could you be honest? The person that lives with you. If you ask that person who's beside you who lives with you, what's my attitude been like lately? Well, on the way home, husbands, ask your wife, how's my attitude? Uh, and, and then she, she's going to ask you the same thing, right? How's my attitude? Am I complaining all the time? Am I griping all the time? We're getting ready to have Thanksgiving. Dear friend, it shouldn't be Thanksgiving. It should be thanks living. How are we doing tonight? Father, I pray, God, you'd help us, Lord Jesus, to be grateful. Not just one day, next week. But God, all of our lives, may we add to our faith. Are we grumbling or are we grateful? Are we grumbling or are we grateful? I hope you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. If you died tonight, I hope and pray that 
you would go to heaven because you place your faith in Jesus Christ. 